and it's time for the weekly Q&A that we call Splunk Talk. Episode number 29, recorded Friday, January 14th, 2011. The Untitled Episode. Hey, we were just joking around, really couldn't come up with a title, but there's a lot of interesting, great stuff to talk about, so let's get rolling! I gotta have more cowbell! You know, I guess we're back. We're back. I, apparently, this is the first one we've done in 2011, I hear. You hear? True? Not true? True. Do the yays have it? The A's and B's have it. Hey, what's up? How's it going, Jeff Blake out of Chicago? Yeah, I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Did I catch you doing something else? Yeah, for a second. Uh, I, I kind of knew that. Just a second. That's all. That's awesome. I'm totally going to have to edit out the fact that I uh, just coughed. And we've got Maverick in good old Dallas. Is it? It's probably warmer today, but it's been pretty dang cold on there and snowy, hasn't it? It's, it's pretty cold. It's not warm at all. I'm wearing a scarf still even. Really? Look at yeah. What? Is it a woolen scarf? Of course, it's like well, yeah, it's like forty degrees still outside. Oh, no, it could it could be silk. You seem like a I don't silk. wear silk. No, silk. no, no. I'm too like old an for ascot. work. No, I'm too old for that. I gotta wear the wool. I gotta wear the stuff for old man to keep me warm. Little known fact: Splunk, the as far as an employee base, I think has the highest number of people that are um, involved in some sort of knitting or weaving <laughs> that exists in any company. <laughs> That is true. I mean, literally, there's Andrea, Sophie, and Rachel, and probably a couple more that make their own hand-knit weaved goods. Matter of fact, Andrea even spins her own yarn. Andrea is a super yeah, support. Yeah, yeah, I heard. Ninja you know, and I documentation heard, developer you know, help. Yeah, I heard. I heard that they. Uh, you know, you know what they call their group or something like when they get together. The knitting group. No, no, it's like. Stitch and bitch or something like that. Nice. I think something like that. Yeah. You can really talk about stuff while they're knitting and stuff. And you just made stitching. that up, didn't you? No, I, I think that's really what they call it. <laughs> you just wanted to say that. No, I didn't. How are you guys doing out there? We're doing great. Michael Wilde here in Austin, Texas. Looking forward to come and hang out in San Francisco. So if y'all are in San Francisco, not y'all as in you two on the other end of the line, but if there's folks in San Francisco... Maverick and Jeff Blake and I will uh, be in town and, of course, be hosting drinks for listeners that Jeff will pay out of his personal pocket for. Thank you very Thanks, much, Jeff. Jeff. You're the best. Thanks. You're the best, Jeff. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I don't know what the best, but Jeff's pretty oh, good. Wow. Oh, okay. 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 Jeff. <laughs> 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 laughing at his own jokes. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let's get into this. We got some questions today. And, hmm. Should we keep the same order or should we keep the same order? Let's go. Yeah, why not? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Same order? Absolutely. Does that mean I'm first? Let's mix it up a bit and you go first, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, I'll mix up. You go first. All right. I keep getting the error, max concurrent searches reached on my dashboard. Even though all the reports are loaded as expected, why does it say that and what does it mean? It means more power up. There you go. Higher power. Just buy a bigger server or buy 10 of them. Done. That's the answer. Done. Yeah. 
Yeah, but when I get that, I get that error and it just goes on there. But why is that? Is it just because I don't have enough, uh, enough CPU or what is it? It's likely. Okay. Are we talking about you specifically or anyone? Yeah, I mean, I get it too, but I'm, I'm, on, a, I'm on a two-way, but I mean. He just said two-way. What is he talking about? two-way. So that's the problem, right? I need a four-way or something? You know what? Oh, right now we're in the. You need a segue. Right now, this is a very entertaining three-way. Okay. Um, so you are limited to the number of searches that can run, and it's based on, uh, there's a few highly simple mathematical formulas that determine this, but mostly it's the number of cores that you have available on your system. So what one could do is if one was in a VM environment, they could just maybe add more CPUs, or if your VM group won't give you more, and your searches aren't too long and crazy, um, you can change some settings. And there's a file called limits.conf. Okay. And there's a cool answer on answers.splunk.com. But there are some configuration knobs in limits.conf. If you pop down into your Splunk install and you go to the directory Etsy slash system slash defaults, if you look at limits.conf, you can see the actual limits as they are. Don't edit that file, by the way. Make a copy of it, okay? Or, you know, make your own. Put it in the local directory, like system slash local. And you could change things like max searches per CPU, okay? So you can force Splunk to use more processes, uh, kick off more processes. You can um, change a setting called dispatch quota retry so that, you know, Splunk will then go and sort of try again uh, if you have a search that clears up. And then uh, there's another one that's dispatch quota sleep milliseconds. So it's the initial sleep time for retry. So if you want to keep retrying, uh, you know, you can reduce that. Uh, so maybe you won't get those errors as much. You know, of course, you can always add more power. But we try to put some defaults in there so that people's performance will be great. But if you load up your dashboard with a whole pile of searches that take a long time, you could um, you could either make those more efficient or, or maybe change your change your uh, or limits if it's appropriate so yeah i would probably i tell people sometimes to break up into several dashboards like don't try to put them all on one dashboard maybe logically two or three go together here and there so make different dashboards and split it out to where you can just switch from one to the other and it loads up two or three four searches you know panels per dashboard and then sometimes it can go away that kind of leverage the use of the uh of the power that you do have would not a uh, summary index help in this regard occasionally? Yeah, perhaps. Um, <laughs> well, it, it depends on your data, right? That's one of the things yeah, I'd probably exactly. do is is do summary indexing if you're if you're having, let's say, you're doing searches over web logs and you have like two hundred thousand hits a you know a day or a million hits a day. Some of those you're going to want a summary index to pre-reduce. Another example is Splunk makes it so easy for you to make dashboards that you can like run the same search five times. So when I initially built the Splunk Talk Analytics dashboard, it's all going off the same web data, and I had like eight searches that would run. And so I made it a little bit more efficient with some, with some uh, um, advanced stuff in Splunk. But you know, like the real point is one: do you have enough power? for what you want to do to are your searches efficient and if they are and you think you're going to be okay then you can mess with the limits so and sometimes to make a search more efficient it's really 
a lot more simple than you think. Like I run into this a lot and people just inadvertently do things like, for example, search over all time. Right. But in reality, you don't need an, an enormous scan of that nature. It, it, you know, the last 24 hours might be enough and that that's all that really, sometimes the simplest things are, are what uh, bogs us down and, yeah, you know, don't don't overlook the obvious. I guess is the uh, the watchword there. Yeah, the bottom line is that it, that that error comes up, but I think the searches usually still run eventually. It's just it's more of a warning, I think. Anyway, but that's what it means, I guess. Cool. Next, I got a question here. Mm, let's see. Go for it. What is it? What How? Is it? Okay, <laughs> I'm sure this is going to cause a. Uh, Mixed martial arts style knockdown. A jihad. It's going to cause a drag. What? He a dra- knockdown drag out fight between the three of us. But how can I tell when Splunk is finished indexing all of my log files? Go. Uh, that is that is a good question. I don't think. I think because of the real time, never ending nature of Splunk, you're never gonna you're never gonna know for sure if it's done because the nature is to always be monitoring for changes and more data coming in being generated real time all the time. So um, unless you're talking about a discrete log file, like in a batch mode where you drop it in a folder and then when it's done, it disappears, you'd know then. Or a tailing processor, you can do a tailing processor and be able to see if it's 100%, but, um, you know, if it's if it's done. But uh, but in, in reality, it's never done. If it's a real log file, it's never done, right? Well, if it's a live log file, yes, it's never done. If it was, yeah, I guess, it, like I said, if it's a discrete, like you know it's a set of directories, like historical data maybe, and you want to know when it's done, um, you could, you know, maybe um, you could probably search uh, in real time. You could search in real time and search uh, real time all time and watch it. And when it stops coming in, then you would know it's done, I guess. But there's no indicator saying this thing is done, like in the product showing it blinking at you saying finished or whatever. Yeah, at least right now, there's not. Um, if you, it's not like the search side where we have the the job monitors and things like that. And uh, there's there's, yeah, the the way this question's worded, it, they make it seem like there was a a bunch of files that were thrown into the sinkhole. And the the obvious answer is, you know, when the Splunk has this mechanism that allows us to to accommodate batch loading of data for historical stuff or if you're recovering from from a service outage or something like that, you put all these um, you put all your files in a uh, in the spool directory and and it'll it'll eat them in a fairly efficient way and keep track of where it leaves off when things get busy. And as the logs get consumed, Splunk will pull them out of the, it'll it'll delete them out of that spool directory and so we'll, I think you answered this already, didn't you, Maverick? It's when the spool directory is empty, your batch is done. Right, right. Well, that's if you're watching at the directory level. Inside the product, uh, we have a metrics log, too. I think you could probably search that and watch, you know, do a sum of that. And when it stops growing for, you know, summing it for all day or all time, or or it's barely barely moving, you know, barely incre- incrementing up in value, maybe that could be another way to to leverage that search against the metrics to information to figure out, you know, that, Hey, I'm pretty much done. And even if you had real time stuff coming in, it would probably be nothing compared to the bulk size of the big directory. Like you're talking about assuming that's what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, if you pop onto answers and you look, you just search for, you know, how can I tell when Splunk is finished indexing? Um, 
You'll find, I think I might have answered it with a blog post. It was a blog post from Amrit Bath. Amrit is one of the early engineers here at Splunk. He, he's done a lot of the work around the file monitor. And he wrote this Python script that uses the REST endpoint. So there's a REST endpoint for the status of a file. So technically inside of Splunk, there's a way to tell how, how it how what the, the progress is, but it's not exposed. So he wrote this Python script, which you can drop in there and you can basically run, you know, run it and it will kind of live monitor the status of eating log files. Now, in some situations, if you use that and you're monitoring a live log file, you might see that log files actually at 105 or 110%, which is looks sort of weird. But hey, if you're throwing a whole pile in there and you're like, well, when's it going to be done? Because I want to know... Uh, you know, because I got to go to lunch. That's a kind of a cool thing. So just check that out on answers. You know, we'll, maybe we'll put a link somewhere if we ever get a decent website for Splunk Talk. So um, that's pretty cool. It's great. I used it, and I'm actually going to use it for most of my evals and recommend customers use it so they can see the status. Uh, and because uh, it's one of those things, it's sort of like set it and forget it. And you're like, is it done? You know. So we got a couple of events coming up. Um, if you happen to be in these areas, uh, we've got AFCEA West 2011. That's January 25th through 27th. That's coming up really soon. That's in San Diego. I wish I was boondoggling for that. And that's all um, Fed folks, Naval Institute, and it's big. It's, it's actually the largest uh, event on the West Coast for. Uh, it's sort of like Comdex plus Interop plus CES, all for the government, which is kind of cool. Splunk will be there. Uh, Cisco Live, Live, which is like Splunk Live, but spelled different. Uh, that's going to be in London. And I'm sure DJ uh, Skillman will be there. And that's January 31st through February 3rd, February 3rd 2011. And then there's O'Reilly has a Strata conference in 2011. So if you're in the Bay Area and... Uh, you can get over to the Hyatt Regency Santa Clara. There, Splunk's going to be there, and this is, I guess, it's focused on um, uh, business and practice of data, which whatever, how to collect and use data successfully. Interesting. I guess there's training and breakout sessions, and then of course every Wednesday at 1 p.m. CST, which is Central Time. It's daylight or standard. It's still 1 p.m. Uh, we do a weekly web demo. So if you happen to have folks that need a demo of Splunk or you want to learn some tips that you forgot, uh, if you were evaled Splunk a while ago, check that out. Um, available on our site. Hey, hey, what about the London one, the Fortnite one or whatever? Well, yeah, the Fortnite one, that's every two weeks. Um, at, it's actually at 9 a.m. our time, which is really 3 p.m. London time. So 3 p.m. every two weeks. Uh, if you're in the uh, UK or Europe, you can uh, get a demo Splunk and ask some cool questions to some nerdy sales engineers. Cool. Um, Very good. All right. right. Maverick, questione. Maverick. All right. So I'm in Splunk. I'm on my summary page. And there are a few hosts that are no longer valid. How do I delete or at least suppress these host names from the list? A summary page. On the summary search page. Is that yeah. the one where you, you hit the search app and then there's all your host sources and source types right there? That's what I think. It, ah, yeah, okay. That's, that's a summary page. I keep forgetting the name of that. Jeff, do you know the answer to this? I do. Excellent. 
so yeah, the the one of the default views is, uh, and, and actually we should talk about views because because what's interesting about Splunk is if you're using the UI, if if you're using the browser to hit Splunk, no matter what you're seeing, no matter who built it, um, in in 4.0 and and going forward. We call that a dash bar, a dashboard view. Now, it might not look like a dashboard. Some of the dashboards look like dashboards. They got, you know, panels and graphs and numbers and stuff like that. But some of them don't look at all like a dashboard. Some of them have images and a lot of um, interesting visual bits like the uh, Getting Started app. But everything is inside an app, and every view is is a dashboard, and or I should say, every dashboard has a view, and the views are stored in a directory called views, which is under the UI, uh, under the data slash UI um, directory inside your uh, whatever your app is, either the default or the local directory of of whatever your app is. So, Splunk Home, Etsy apps, your app, either default or local, data UI, and the views, and the views are nothing more than uh, XML files which direct the visual bits to to render uh, what you're going to see on the screen and the, and one of the main screens that you'll see when you fire up Splunk is this thing that we call the summary page and the summary page has uh, basically our three main data uh, metadata types listed out the sources the source types and the hosts in just sort of a linked text kind of a format nothing fancy but it makes it very easy to navigate to whatever bits you want to do or however you want to issue your your first search going forward so this question is all about after i do some something to my data and in this case the person looks like they wanted to delete some of the the sources or the hosts or something how can i get those um names off of that screen this happens a lot we talk. Uh, we seem to always come full, full circle to this um, when you're doing sort of a development cycle with Splunk. When you you've loaded lots of data, you realized, oh gosh, um, all of these sources are listing out an enormous amount of things, and maybe I'm going to regex my source type and I and and bring it down to one, but all the old stuff is still there. How do I get rid of it? Well, it's pretty simple. You want to go into Splunk Home Etsy apps and go into the search app, which is installed by default by Splunk, uh, and then go into the local data UI views and edit the uh, XML file called, I think it's called, um, I think it's just called default.xml. And that will have all of the searches that populate those three lists, the lists that list out the sources, the list that lists out the uh, source types, and the, and the search that lists out the hosts and you can go in there and delete those and um, delete the ones that aren't are no longer there and uh, the next time you come in it'll it'll have the probably the, the probably render it out the way you want it to see just to add to that the the actual view so when you hit the Splunk search page the view is actually called dashboard okay so it's just the name of it it's probably called dashboard.xml but if you go to manager, okay, uh, inside it, you go to manager, click user interface and click views and go into the search app, you can actually see and change the view right from there. And what you might consider doing is cloning the dashboard view, or the, that, which is the default summary page in Splunk. So that way, you know, you have a, a copy of it because if when we upgrade Splunk, we're going to basically 
uh, overwrite the original file, okay, with the with the one that is whatever in the new version of Splunk. That um, the that dashboard is made up of searches. So if you run the search, so if you just want to see kind of how it works, go to the search app. You know, go to the search bar and just no no nothing else, but just type the pipe. Okay, so say pipe metadata, and you can say pipe metadata sources or pipe metadata hosts. Okay, and if you do that and you hit enter. It's going to run a search, but there's no logs it's looking through. It's just looking through some metadata that we have, and you'll see a table. Okay, So by default, Splunk is going to display host sources and source types. And of course, you could uh, use your search syntax to not out a few hosts, like where host is not Jeff, for example. And then bake that into your view, and you should be cool if you have some of those hosts that are just hanging around that you no longer even have. Yeah, you could probably even not out a. You could probably make a macro too that does a not of all those things, and then just put the macro in that part of of the uh, of the XML of that search there as well, right? Probably, maybe not. Perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just being creative. I mean, that's how I'm always thinking about it. That's what I love about this product is I can just kind of like, hey, get an idea and try it out, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't hurt anything. Yeah. But it, I might figure it out. It's pretty. Or cool. denied. Yeah. So, so a related question really quick for you guys. What if I have hosts that I expect to see, but that I know that's in there, but I don't see in that page? In Aha! That list? Ah, that's, yeah. that's, uh, that's I get that different. one too. Yeah. 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 Usually in that case, you have stuff in another index that is not in your default view or your host name extraction isn't working properly. That's usually a little bit easier thing to solve. So That's you right. Should. Very good. You got All righty. All righty. Okay. Excellent questions. Great answers. Glad we started off the year with a good three or four decent ones. All right. So what did we learn this week? Um, let's see. With a couple things. We are probably not going to have an episode next week because we're all at sales kickoff. Um, but we'd love to have uh, beers with you if you're in San Francisco in the area. Woohoo! So here's what I learned. I was working on this. Oh, I made a new video. Uh, check it out. It's on uh, YouTube. I gotta put a. I'll put a blog entry by then, and uh, and it's about monitoring .NET apps. And I'm actually monitoring, uh, you know, the event logs and all sorts of IIS logs, everything that's a part of this app. But I'm also monitoring the source code. Okay, so this is a .NET app, and it has ASPX and C Sharp and CSS and um, a couple of config files. So I'm using the file system change monitor. As we've talked about before, it's something you can put in in the inputs.conf. And, of course, the syntax is a little bit different. You just put a bracket, type in fs change, a single colon, and then the path name. Okay, And you can have Splunk monitor, let's say, the change to it. And it'll generate a change event. Let's say if you update it or you... Actually, you can open up a file and save it, and it'll change the mod time, and you'll get an update event. So you get these FS notification events, which is nice, so you can see that it changed. But you can also index the actual file. You just you put a setting in there that says full event equals true. And there's a lot of other settings you can put inside of inputs.com for file system change. But one thing you actually cannot put in there is the source type. Okay, so um, as you know, source types are a way of categorizing things, and some source types have settings associated with them, you know, like where they should break. 
Well, inside of inputs.conf, when you're monitoring a file, not a log file, but a, uh, not a config file, but a regular log file, or let's say you're doing a batch, you can set the source type name. But that does not work and is not available in FS change. Okay, so what you'll have to do, and I had to do, is you know, I indexed the stuff and I'm like, wow, the line breaking is all screwed up because it just tried to learn it. So in props.conf, for each specific source, I put a stanza for each source and I called out what the source type name should be. Then I set break only before gobbledygook, the actual word gobbledygook. Okay, because the word gobbledygook really doesn't exist anywhere. You could make up your own word. And oh. that way I stopped Splunk, cleaned it, you know, started it back up. I got all the ad events for change. And then I got all the source code, C sharp files. And I also had source typed them as visual C sharp source cascading style sheet. So you could see what was going on. And then when you made a change to the file, you, you, we indexed a new copy of the config file. Then I saw a change event, and you probably didn't know this. If you're looking at file system change, and I, let's say I'm looking at the actual source code for this uh, CSS or ASP file, and there's been a change on it, just pipe that to diff, D-I-F-F, and Splunk will give you minuses and pluses on the lines that have changed. So but the real thing that I learned was source typing doesn't, isn't, isn't an option in uh, FS change, so you kind of have to do it manually, so... Nerdy, but that's what I learned uh, this week. So I, I learned something interesting fact that I don't think you guys know. Uh, maybe you do, but uh, I uh, what I did is I um, I indexed the uh, internal Splunk web page for employee listings. Okay, of, of like well, every time someone gets hired at Splunk, we have a listing and it shows that uh, by alphabetical, so you can find them and find their profile and get the phone number to talk to them. Like when when you work here, when you come to work here, it's an internal web page. Has the hire date? I use the hire date as the timestamp, so I could like you know regex out first names, last names, initials, like things like that. So I found out that there's there's now four Michaels here, and four Eric's spelled the way I spell my name, E R I C. But there's only one Jeffrey, spelled Jeffrey's name. So he still has a unique first name here at Splunk. I'm going to pipe that to rename for everybody else, just, <laughs> just, just to be clear. Okay. To be plain, if he's plain Jeff, there's three of those. No, I'm going to pipe Jeffs. every Michael other than me to rename, okay? I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it was just kind of cool because it was a day when there was only one, one uh, person with spelled E-R-I-C. Of course, Eric Swans, but spelled with a K. But it was just it was neat. So there's like 190 people with unique names here now, first names. Um, and then the rest would, of us all do, like, share. Would you do like pipe, stats, count? Of course. Yeah, hey! I do a regex. Of course, and then I did, and then I uh, I piped to uh, event stats to get the total. So I could I, I did some interesting thing with initials too to see how many people share the same initials and stuff like that. But Dude, you anyway, should blogify that. I probably should. It's pretty cool, but it's just I don't know. It's employee information. I probably have to be careful about the sensitivity. But maybe if I do initials where you don't know the names or just first names only, I can probably do. But it's just interesting to be able to apply Splunk to. Uh, something other than a log file to be able to use it the same way, but to get a different kind of, you know, statistic. And then there's, um, I think there's 22 sets of initials where the first and last initial are the same. So is there like, anyone's initials that are FU? Uh, I didn't look that, <laughs> I can look that up, but okay. there's, but, but, but there's 22. Like Felix there's, Ulysses? There's 22, there's, there's 20, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Felix Unger. Yeah. <laughs> Felix Unger. There there's you go. 20, there's 22, you. 22 employees that have a first and last initial that is the same 
but whatever letter, right? So, but it's the same, like a BB, you know, DD, things like that. So I did that one. That was an interesting search to come up with. That was cool. Nice. I like it. Well, yeah. And it's like, I tell people like, this is a really nerdy podcast and that this t- past five minutes pretty much proves it. So <laughs> anyways, uh, I'm glad we got this going again. Nice, uh, a start to 2011. Uh, for those of you who are just getting started in Splunk Talk, we usually say as always, but if you have any questions that you like answered on the air, uh, just send an email to splunktalk at splunk.com. Hey, if you want a shirt, send an email, and uh, a Splunk uh, shirt will send an email with your size and mailing address. We'll be happy to send one out to you. And as always, uh, thanks for listening, chilling out with the dudes at Splunk Talk. Have a great week, and, uh, you know, happy Splunking. Y'all better watch Y'all out better now. Watch because Splunk is about to take over. You know what? I want a record. I, I wish I could see the video of Maverick screaming the one data center at a time. <laughs>